ourselves say holy spirit what have you already given me that i have yet to experience because i'm not willing to be obedient what have you promised me in your word that i have yet to experience because i'm not willing to do what your word asks me to do and whatever those things are write them down and then say god will you give me the grace to start living obediently, simply obedient in light of your word. As we've already seen in Pastor Daniel's study through Numbers, rebellion definitely has an effect on the timetable God has set up. Today, we're reminded again how lack of obedience changes our involvement in God's kingdom. If we aren't willing to follow God's task for us whenever and whenever it comes, we're missing out on sharing Him with others and missing the blessings that result from that. Now, is a great time to change that. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, A Look Ahead. Now for those of you who like reading your Bible kind of thematically, it's been really commonly said, and when you say thematically, that's an adverb for based on themes. So if you like to read through your Bible in these ways, Some scholars would say that you can look at the entire Bible through the lens of God, the people, and the land. There is a God who calls a family to himself and gives them a place to dwell. Now, what's amazing is, is if you take that thematic idea and you place it in your own life, you say that God of the Bible sent Jesus to die and rise again, sent forth his spirit, chose you, and he gave you a place to blossom. He's given you a a land Maybe it's a townhouse or an apartment. Maybe it's a, this little place that you stick your pop tent or whatever. But God calls a people and then gives us a place to blossom. It's beautiful. And you can literally, if you read your entire Bible, it begins with God, it ends with God. It, it begin, you, know, you get the idea of the Bible ends with the new Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a running theme all the way through the Bible. And then you have the people of God, whether they were the calling of Abraham and then his family, and then you get into the New Testament, and it's not an ethnic family, but now it's a multi-ethnic family. Anyone who will believe are the people of God. So it's a beautiful way to look at it. Now, as you get into the borders here, what you find is the southern border you get from verses 3 to verse 5. Now, part of the problem, of course, with these borders, as I've said before, is that a lot of these places, we don't know exactly where they are. So you have some ideas. And what you would find is if you would look at this on a map, it would seem that the southern border is not just like a straight line going east to west, but it's kind of on a pretty sharp angle. What we do know, of course, is you notice at the end of verse 3, it shall extend eastward to the Salt Sea. Now, the Salt Sea today we would call what? The Dead Sea. And if you've ever been to Israel, it's really fun. I remember when Lynn and I made our first trip to Israel. We went to the Dead Sea, and I remember it's so salty that literally you float in the water. Now, my poor bride, because I have the spiritual gift of mischief, I remember I was talking to Lynn. Now, Lynn knew it was called the Salt Sea, but she didn't quite know why. 
And so I remember I said, sweetie, you should taste the water. And she said, why? I'm like, man, it's the best water. And sure enough, I got my camera out because I, you know, I have the spiritual gift of mischief. And my wife, you just got to pray for her. And so sure enough, she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really, just try it. Don't worry about it. She's like, oh, snapping photos. I'm lucky I'm still alive after that. But literally, it's like, you know, like, you don't go drink ocean water because it tastes nasty. And I'm here to tell you, the Dead Sea, it's just the worst. I mean, it's, just, it's so salty. Really, because of the salt, they've been doing so much mining of the minerals in the Dead Sea now. There's all sorts of beauty products because all of the depth of minerals from the Dead Sea, because of it's so salty, there's no fish can survive in there either. It's just like... It's really an interesting place. That's still there today. I say all that to say that and tell you a fun story. You can pray for my wife. I'm that kind of a guy. You know, just, it's a great picture, though. It really is. I, I wanted to frame it and put it in our house. She wouldn't let me do it. I can't imagine what. So you have the southern border. Now, as you get to verse 6, you get the western border. And the western border is the Great Sea. Now, you know what the Great Sea is? It's the Mediterranean Sea. Why is it called Great? Because Italy's right there, of course. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't resist the Mediterranean Sea. And so, of course, I mean, Greece is on there as well, for those of you who are Greek. There's lots of countries that are right there. And sure enough, the Mediterranean is the entire western border of the land of Canaan, the promised land that they were to get. Now, it's really, really awesome because sure enough, when Lynn and I went to Israel, we ended up spending two nights in uh, Jaffa. If you remember Jaffa, two biblical things happened in Jaffa. One, it was the place where Jonah, when he was fleeing God's call to go to Nineveh, he went to Joppa, the port city, and he grabbed a boat to go in the complete opposite direction of the Lord. And then the second thing that happened there, of course, was Peter was called there when he was there at the city of Joppa. And it's beautiful because it's like your classic beach town. You know what I mean? It's this beautiful, beautiful sea and it's gorgeous, and there's beaches, and it's got all these old buildings and walkways, and it's an absolutely beautiful place. And so you look on a map, you see the Mediterranean Sea, like, oh, that was the western border of what God had promised to the children of Israel. Now, verses 7 and 9, we get the northern border, and in a lot of ways, the northern border kind of, if you were to sketch it out on a map, would kind of mirror the southern border as well. It kind of moves on a diagonal, and then By the time you get to verse 10 to 12, you get the eastern border. And so really you have this large landmass. And I think what's the most interesting about it is that if you read your Bible, you find that at its zenith, the children of Israel actually never lived in all of this land. So God promised it to them as an inheritance, but you never find the children of Israel actually taking complete possession of all the land. Now, when we took a look back at the life of the children of Israel, God said, listen, I want you to do this thing. And if you don't do this, there's going to be problems. By the time you get to the book of Joshua and you go forward and you read, of course, Judges and you read 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you read these books, constantly you're finding that the children of Israel are having issues in their land because of unrighteousness. And At the 
Kingdoms greatest under David and Solomon, they only probably dwelt in about 75% of the land by conservative estimates. Now, what does it teach us? Now, listen. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly, right? Jesus said that the people of God, in effect, are the kingdom of God. But how many of us are not dwelling in the fullness of the promised land spiritually because we're not being obedient to the things that God has told us? See, God's desire, my friends, is to bless you. God's desire is that you and I can experience all that God is for us in Christ on this side of eternity, but he can't bestow all of his blessings if we are unavailable or unwilling. And so obedience plays a part in our experience of God's blessing. Does that make sense? See, Right as you start talking like this in church, people get nervous, like, well, I thought I'm saved by faith apart from works. And listen, you are. Nobody can do works that will cause God to accept you. Nobody gets everything right. And it's not that the Bible is trying to guilt you. The Bible is just being honest about who we are. We don't need the Bible to show us that we get things wrong. We know that we get things wrong. Each one of us already realizes that we don't get everything right. So you don't need the Bible to tell you that you get things wrong. You know it. So salvation comes by faith when you believe in Jesus. But the experience of God's blessing comes when we respond to Jesus and live in such a way that lines up with the word of God. See, when your Bible says be anxious for nothing, In everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to the Lord and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, right? When it says that, how many of us can say that we have anxiety over nothing? You're liars. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But you ask yourself, okay, so it says be anxious for nothing. How does that happen? Through everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And then you start asking, okay, so in some ways my anxiety at my world is tied to my prayer life. And you start asking yourself, am I full of anxiety? Yes. How, what's my prayer life look like? Well, I don't really have one. Well, maybe that's why. Because when we pray, prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. Prayer is linking up hands with God to get his will done on earth. And all of a sudden we realize when we're praying, not that we need to give God the laundry list, but God is asking us to figure out how to surrender to him, giving the details of our lives. And we start to realize when we pray, God says, look, you prayed for this. This that's happening is the answer to your prayer. You told me you wanted to be humble. Well, I'm humbling you. You told me you wanted to learn patience. Uh-huh. You told me that you want to walk by faith. Walk by faith. See, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. See, what prayer does is all of a sudden I start to see the world the way God sees it. I start to see the circumstances of my life the way God sees it. So you get into every area of your life where there's issues or struggles, and you start to ask yourself, why am I not experiencing God's blessings? And always you'll be able to deduce it back. In some way, I am not honoring God's word. In some way, I am not putting feet by faith on the message that we've received. You have concerns over your finances. Do a biblical search on what 
the Bible says about money. And you learn all sorts of stuff. And you're like, wow, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't actually know if I believe that. I would never do that. And you wonder why we have concerns over our finances. You get in every area, relationships, vocation, ideas of rest and relaxation, entertainment. The Bible talks about all this stuff. And so the experience of God's blessing is tied to personal obedience. And we learn this in the life of the children of Israel because God gave them this land. It doesn't say God saying, I might give you this land. He's like, this land is yours, right? It's a done deal. But the children of Israel never get to experience all that God has done for them because they wouldn't be obedient. Now, you can just read it in the Bible and say, oh, it's a bummer for them. But we're part of the people of God, too. And so we have to ask ourselves, say, Holy Spirit, what have you already given me that I have yet to experience because I'm not willing to be obedient? What have you promised me in your word that I have yet to experience because I'm not willing to do what your word asks me to do? And whatever those things are, write them down and then say, God, will you give me the grace to start living obediently, simply obedient in light of your word? And I'm here to tell you that when you start to do that kind of stuff, your life starts to change. Because what you realize is that God wants the most beautiful things for our lives. God in Christ has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. But we fail to experience them because we want to be rebellious. It's like with my kids. I love my kids so much. And they're such great kids. But like, when they're not listening, they start to lose things. Not lose them like they don't know where they are. Like lose them like mom and dad take them away. Right? And then they get bummed, like, I can't believe I can't play the iPad. It's like, well, no, you could play the iPad, but you lost the privileges because you didn't make your bed, you didn't clean your room, you talked back, right? And I'm like, nobody wanted to take them from you. You lost the privileges because you were not listening. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, mom and dad want you to have fun. We want you to have a good life, but if you do not listen, you will not get to experience all the blessings of life, right? And all of us as parents, we know how that kind of rolls for our kids, right? And if we think back in our lives to when we were kids, we all experienced that same thing too, right? The same thing is true spiritually. See, there are certain blessings that God has given you in Christ that God is withholding from you because God knows if he gives it to you, you won't be able to handle it. So you got to say, Lord, make me simply obedient so that I can experience all that you've already given me in Christ. It's not like you're hoping for God to give it. See, this land was given, but they never got to experience the fullness of it. And God's grace and his blessing has been given in Christ. It's about us being able to experience the fullness of who God is for us in Christ through our obedience. And that's why the Bible places a premium on obedience, simple, childlike obedience. Simply, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You got it, Lord. 
Let's do it, Lord. I'm in. That willingness, it's almost a naive willingness. It's an innocence. Do you find yourself there today? Can you hear yourself saying in your spirit, yes, Lord, okay. You want me to forgive? I'll forgive. You want me to love? I'll love. You want me to serve? I'll serve. You want me to be kind? Okay, I'll try. Let's do it. That's the place that we want to find ourselves. A willing, joyful obedience. Now, as we get to verse 13, look at what happens. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, This is the land which you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and the half-tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. The two and a half tribes have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan, across from Jericho, eastward toward the sunrise. And so I call this little section, don't forget the east siders. Remember we saw this in Numbers chapter 32, the ones who wanted to live on the east side of the Jordan, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. So what you find is that God's inheritance to the children of Israel The Jordan was the east side boundary, but there are people who wanted to live on the east side of the Jordan River. And so in some ways, we have an extension of the promised land. Now, what's interesting is, depending on your perspective, some people said that the problem with Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh is that when bad things happened, they were the first one to get hit with it because the Jordan River formed a natural protective boundary for the people. And because they wanted to live on the other side, by not entering all the way into the promised land, they were compromised. And that's true. Other people and scholars would say, well, they did also extend the natural boundaries of the promised land. So maybe that's the blessing of it. And so, but I think the idea here is that the land of Canaan was defined as the land they were to settle in. But because of this promise made in Numbers 32 for these two and a half tribes. We did need to, God comes back and says, and don't forget, two and a half tribes, they're on the east side. So that's all of the boundaries we get. Now, in picking up in verse 16 to the end of the chapters, we have the new tribal leaders. Remember I said it's the boundaries, and then you get the boys. Look what it says in verse 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance, Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. And you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. These are the names of the men from the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of the children of Simeon, verse 20, Shemuel the son of Amahud. From the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad, the son of Chislon, a leader from the tribe of the children of Dan, Buki, the son of Jogli. From the sons of Joseph, a leader from the tribe of the children of Manasseh, Hanoel, the son of Ephod. And a leader from the tribe of the children of Ephraim, Kemuel, the son of Shiphthan. A leader from the tribe of the children of Zebulun, Elizaphan, the son of Parnach a leader from the tribe of the children of Issachar, Paltiel, the son of Azan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Asher, Ahihud, 
the son of Shelami, a leader from the tribe of the children of Naphtali, Padahel, the son of Amihud. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Now, in some ways, this end of chapter 34 is the parallel passage to the first generations of leaders who we had written about in Numbers chapter 1, verses 5 to 16. Do you remember that the book of Numbers began with, these are the leaders of the 12 tribes, and now we have, and these are the leaders of the 12 tribes, but don't miss the fact that there is a whole new set of leaders. Because the leaders who we read about in Numbers 1, they were not willing to go into the promised land, and so they ended up being judged to die in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. Out of all of the children of Israel over the age of 20 who left Egypt, only two are going into the promised land. Joshua, the son of Nun, we read about in verse 17, and then Caleb, who's leading the tribe of Judah, the son of Jephunneh, in 19. Those were two of the 12 spies who were sent to spy out the promised land. Those two said, it is a great land. It's an amazing land. And God has given it to us, so let's go in. The other 10 said, no, the cities are too big. We're going to get wiped out. It's not going to go good for us. And the people listened to the faithless 10 instead of the faithful 2. And they all died in the wilderness instead of these two. Now, as I close this out, listen, I think this is so important. As I was reading this, And meditating on it, this gripped my heart. How many of us are listening to the counsel of people who have no faith? Every decision we make is counseled by a lack of belief in God. Although maybe they are Christian, they're functionally atheists. They just don't believe that God can do miraculous things. I think so many of us allow our lives to be limited by the fact that we receive counsel from people who really don't believe in God. We believe in all of the resources that we have here in America, the wisdom and the intelligence, and we make faithless choices because we've been counseled by people who say that they're believers but really don't believe in God, that God speaks and God wants to work in powerful ways. Maybe some of us are those faithless counselors. Somebody comes and says, I believe God is calling me to serve him. Oh, no way. (laughs) You? Seriously? It's amazing if you read missionary biographies, how often people who God has used mightily have been dissuaded by godly people. It's amazing how often the people of God don't believe in God. And we have little vision for our lives because we don't get our vision from the Lord. We get our vision from what we can expect or understand given the natural flow of life. Jesus is In today's message, Pastor Daniel encouraged us to examine who we listen to when it comes to making spiritual decisions. If we listen to those who don't trust God, chances are we'll get some safe but bad advice. If we look to God, we'll have a radical experience. 
Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel. Have you ever asked yourself, what is this life really all about? How shall I live? See, these are life's most important questions. Jesus invites us to follow him on a journey of discovering the art of living, and he gives us the answers to these questions. I'm stoked to share with you my newly released book where you can learn how to live an abundant life by living upward, inward, and outward through loving God and loving yourself and loving others. I will unpack the keys to a life that overflows with blessings. So here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. This is exciting news. Pastor Daniel's new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, is not currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else. Pastor Daniel would like to offer a special pre-released signed copy of his book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner from the main menu. There you can give your gift. And again, as a thank you, we will send you a special pre-released signed copy of Pastor Daniel's upcoming book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Today's message concluded Pastor Daniel's study of the final chapters of Numbers. We walked with the Israelites through the final days before they were able to enter the Promised Land, remembering God's faithfulness and promises along the way. We wish we had more time today. Next time you join us, Pastor Daniel will begin a brand new series right here on Jesus Is Real Radio.